at King of Grace Church, and it's uh, my pleasure to bring God's Word to you today. And uh, to start off, just want to tell you a little story. So uh, many... years now. We met in uh, uh, when I was in seminary and immediately thought she was smart and pretty and great and out of my league and uh, <laughs> somehow I convinced her to date me and uh, then around uh, October of uh, 2016 I thought, you know what, I would uh, very much like to marry her. And so I had this great plan in place that uh, I ordered this custom engagement ring that I knew should like. It would arrive in November, and then uh, that December would go visit her parents, and you know it'd be all magical and romantic, all wintry, and I would propose to her on one knee, and uh, it would just be a great, uh, great time. Now that is not how the proposal actually went. So uh, going back to uh, late October, early November. I went to visit her in her dorm, and uh, I was feeling really sick that day. I just kind of had an upset stomach, so uh, I knocked on, and she you know, let me in, and I said, hey, how you doing? And then immediately proceeded to uh, throw up everywhere, uh, <laughs> and uh, then lose consciousness <laughs> uh, on her couch, uh, where I remained uh, for the rest of that day. And when I finally came to, uh, I felt cold and tired and feverish and miserable. And so for the next two days, I would uh, go uh, in the morning, go down to her uh, dorm, and she would kind of take care of me. And then I would go back uh, to my dorm at night and would just kind of do that because uh, of how sick I was feeling. And so uh, I think the second or third day, uh, we just decided, you know what, let's watch a movie, let's try to relax. And so we uh, decided to watch Lilo and Stitch. And uh, I had never seen it before. And it's all about kind of some alien experiment that, you know, he's a misanthrope and then he becomes part of this Hawaiian family and it's very touching and, and very sweet. And so uh, watching that uh, in my uh, sick state, I was completely overcome by emotion and sentimentality. And so lying there, not having showered, <laughs> being very sick and having no ring, I looked over to her and asked, so do you want to be part of my family? Do you maybe want to get married? <laughs> and surprisingly, she said yes. <laughs> Worst proposal ever, but she still said yes. And what is amazing about that is in spite of uh, you know, how awful I was feeling, when I heard that she said yes, that she chose in that moment to be my wife, I was so encouraged, it's like I wasn't even sick anymore. Of course I still was, but um, just the degree of encouragement coming from her choice of me, she chose, despite all of my flaws as a person, despite how uh, pathetic I was in that moment, she still chose me as her husband. And so what I want to uh, speak to you today about is another choice that's been made about us. And this choice isn't made by a spouse, it isn't made by a friend or an employer, it's a choice made by God that God has chosen 
us as believers to be his people. And the purpose of that choice is to encourage us. The purpose of that choice is to bless us. And so today in Scripture, we're going to see why God would choose us to be his people. We're going to see the means that he uses to uh, bring us to himself. We're going to see the goal that he set before us in his choice. And we're going to see how we respond to that. How do we respond to such a great choosing of us? And so if you would turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17, uh, we'll dive right in. Just as you're doing that, I will pray for us as well. Lord, we just come to you today, Lord, and are just so grateful. Uh, Grateful, Lord, that you have chosen us to be your people. Uh, Grateful that you shower your mercy and your kindness on us, Lord. And I just pray today, um, Lord, that you would help us to be served by your word, help us to understand your intentions, your heart, Lord, and to be encouraged, uh, to know your care, Uh, and your joy. So Lord, I pray that um, we would all have ears to hear your word, uh, Lord, and that you would bless uh, your word. That's that in Jesus' name. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, to give a little background to this passage, uh, so this is the second letter that uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And uh, we had a whole sermon series about 1 Thessalonians and went into that. But here, um, after he's written that first letter, there's been a a major issue in the the church. The Thessalonians have been told that they have missed out on the day of the Lord, that Jesus has come back and gone, and they have been left behind. Um, Not left behind in the left behind series, left behind, but (laughs) um, they uh, basically have missed out. They have missed out on uh, Jesus' return, and so they are very distressed. Um, They uh, don't know what's going on. They don't know... um, how this could have happened, how they could have missed that. And so Paul is writing to the Thessalonians uh, to kind of dissuade them from that uh, false teaching, that uh, opinion that's been given. And so in the passage just before this, uh, Paul kind of takes to task this view. And in a a very um, unique passage, he basically tells them that the end, the day of the Lord isn't going to come until this sort of mysterious figure, the man of lawlessness, appears. And once he appears, uh, Christ will come and have ultimate victory over sin and death and evil. And those who have followed this man of lawlessness 
will uh, be destroyed. And so this is the immediate background to the passage, this uh, correcting this error and, and stating this is what's going to happen. This is the, the fate of the man of lawlessness and his followers. And so right away, after saying that, Paul wants to transition. He wants to transition uh, to encouraging Thessalonians. So we see that but right there in the beginning. And he says, uh, but we always, uh, or ought always to give thanks to God for you. So Paul is contrasting the fate of the uh, wicked following the man of lawlessness with these Thessalonians that uh, in contrast, he is thankful for them. Uh, He is thankful to God for them. And why is that? Why is he thankful? So the first thing he says is that they are the beloved of the Lord. And that's not just a kind of nice statement to say like, oh, you know, God loves you. Um, But this is a very loaded phrase. And so the first part of it that is loaded is that this uh, phrase, beloved of the Lord, is also found in the Old Testament specifically in Deuteronomy 33.12. And in the context of that passage, Moses is uh, pronouncing blessings on the tribes of Israel. Uh, This is kind of getting toward the end of uh, uh, his rope, and so he is uh, blessing them Uh, He's he's going to pass away. And in that verse, he turns to the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, He blesses them and he says, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in confidence, and God overshadows him always, and he rested between his shoulders. So Paul is connecting these Thessalonian believers to this blessing in Deuteronomy, saying to them that they are the beloved of the Lord, that uh, they should dwell not in uh, discouragement or fear, but in confidence and that God will always be with them. He's uh, keying them into this uh, passage with this reference. And this is a very tender thing, not just because he is directly uh, trying to speak to their discouragement, but Paul himself is actually a Benjamite, a Benjaminite. So in uh, Philippians 3, 5, we see he says that he's a tribe of Benjamin. So he is extending this blessing to his own family, Uh, for his own family, to the Thessalonian believers. He's saying to them, God uh, is not going to abandon you. God will uh, be with you. Um, And I know this because I'm a Benjaminite. I know this because this is the blessing upon my tribe. And so very tender extending this to them. But that's not the only thing that Paul has to say about the Thessalonians. As he goes on... uh, after saying, uh, brothers beloved by the Lord, he says, uh, in reference to why he's giving thanks, it is because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. So God is choosing these Thessalonian believers. And this idea of God choosing is uh, what's called the doctrine of election, that God uh, chooses uh, people to be uh, his children, to be part of Uh, his family. And so this is what Paul is using primarily to encourage them. He's going to be talking about this election. And so keeping with kind of referencing the Old Testament, he says that God chose you as first fruits. And first fruits in uh, the Old Testament in Mosaic law uh, would be the initial portion of the harvest or livestock 
uh, that would be uh, sacrificed or dedicated to God. So these uh, Thessalonians are first fruits in that they are dedicated to God. They are specially set aside for him. And the thing that they are specially set aside for is to be saved. So they are not to be like the followers of the man of lawlessness who are destroyed, but they are to be saved. They haven't missed out on the day of the Lord. Uh, They will uh, see God's salvation. And so with that, um, a question you might ask before we go on is, why is God choosing them? Why is God choosing these Thessalonian believers? And the reason for it is uh, inferred from Paul saying that you are the beloved of the Lord. Uh, So if I were to say, uh, you know, let's say to uh, Toby, you know, Toby, the great enemy will be destroyed, (laughs) which he won't because he's a great guy. Uh, But you would infer from that the reason why he's going to be destroyed is because he's the great enemy, because there's animus between us. That's just the natural logic uh, you would connect. And so for Paul, he's having them connect that logic as well, that they are being chosen to be first fruits for salvation because they are the beloved of the Lord. That is the reason why God is choosing them. And you see, this is important because as a a matter of the Christian faith, oftentimes this notion of God's choice, this notion of election, uh, can cause a lot of anxiety or or questions or confusions. Why is God choosing anyone? Uh, Is it uh, just a a game or is it just completely arbitrary? Eeny, meeny, mighty, moe, you know, I'll choose you. Um, what is the actual reason for this? And the simple scriptural reason is because God has loved them. It is because God has loved you. And we see this even more explicitly elsewhere in scripture, such as Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, which reads, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Love is the reason why God chooses Uh, That is the bare-bones reason uh, that we can get to. And to to give an illustration of it, think back to just the example in the beginning of uh, my wife choosing to be with me. So she didn't choose me completely arbitrarily. She didn't just roll the dice quite literally and say, all right, I guess it landed on a two, I'll marry you. Uh, Probably wouldn't feel too good if that's the way that happened. Uh, so it's not arbitrary. Uh, there's no ulterior motive. You know, if I marry him, I'll, I don't know, steal his button-up shirts or something. Uh, nothing uh, like that. No ulterior motives, no uh, arbitrary uh, reasoning. But the primary reason is that she loved me. Uh, uh, she loves me and I love her, and that is the reason for our mutual choosing of each other. There's nothing behind that that we can look to and say, ah, that's the, that's the real reason. Uh, never mind this love stuff. This is the real reason this is happening. No. The reason for God's choice of his people is because he's loved them before the foundation of the earth. And so when we have those questions which are, are uh, good to ask, which it's understandable, 
We just have to know that at the core, after every layer is peeled back, after every question is asked, that the reason for God's choice is his love for his people. And that is what Paul is uh, trying to encourage the Thessalonians with. And so I encourage you, if as you've heard of that doctrine, as you've thought of God's choosing, know that it is because he loves you. It is because of the love of God uh, that he chooses his people. And there's nothing behind that. It is strictly the love of God. Now, with that being said, uh, if God, uh, we know now, has made this choice of his people, how is it that he goes about making this choice real? How does he uh, affect uh, this choice in reality? And so the rest of verse 13 and the beginning of, and the yeah, rest of uh, verse 14 are going to show us uh, how he does this. So verse 13 reads uh, in the second half, after saying that they've been chosen to be saved, that it is through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So keep in mind again, the choice, the logic of the passage, the choice has already been made that these Thessalonians are chosen to be saved. And so now, Paul is describing how that happens. So that is made real uh, through being sanctified by the Spirit. So sanctification is essentially a synonym for growing in holiness, that uh, these Thessalonian believers um, are uh, becoming more holy, and uh, that is being accomplished by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the age, active agent causing them to become holy, become sanctified. So that's the first, re- uh, first means, the first instrument. The second is belief in the truth. So uh, they are, uh, this choosing is being realized through their believing in the truth. And what is that truth? That truth is the message of the gospel. And we see that in the beginning of verse 14 because he says, to this he called you through our gospel. It is belief in this message that Paul and others had been preaching that is what they are believing in. They are believing in this invitation from the Lord that he has sent his only son into the world to die for the sins of the world and to draw people to himself. That is the message of the gospel. And so that is uh, the second pillar of how God is affecting this choice, that uh, these people will become holy and these people will believe in the truth. They will believe in the truth of the gospel. And before I go on to then explain the goal of uh, salvation, I think it's really important and really significant to get the, the proper sequence of what's happening here. So God has made a choice in love for these Thessalonian believers and it's after that choice is made that we have holiness and faith come about. That's significant because it's not saying that God looked at the Thessalonian believers and said, well, you know, this is a very righteous and faithful group of people. So you know what? They're really good. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to choose these good people to be saved. 
that's not the case at all. What we know about uh, the Thessalonians, about really any sort of, uh, you know, average group of people in this time is they would have worshipped false gods. They would have uh, probably practiced different types of sexual immorality. Um, they would suffer from all of the various sins that we deal with today, lying, greed, cheating, um, all sorts of things. So these are your, your average people, and they are not fundamentally good. They are not fundamentally worthy of God's choosing. But nevertheless, he chooses them, and through that choice, he makes them to be holy. Through that choice, he makes them to be faithful. It's not their faith and their holiness that's the prerequisite for him to choose them. It's the result, it's the way that God actualizes his choice in their lives, is by making them holy. And so to maybe give an example of this, um, so in South Korea, um, the, uh, basically every man between the age of 18 and 28 uh, gets conscripted into the military. So back in the 1950s, you had the Korean War, um, which technically has not ended. There was no official peace treaty. There was just kind of a, a, a very extended ceasefire that's gone on. And so because of the constant threat of their neighbor to the north, um, yeah, all men between 1828 get conscripted into the military. They get chosen for military service. Now, as an 18-year-old, I can at least say for myself, uh, I uh, did not and still don't know anything about being in the military. Don't know how to fire a gun, don't know uh, anything about tactics. Uh, all I know how to drive is a small sedan, so <laughs> never mind a tank or some other uh, vehicle. So nothing in uh, these uh, young men is a, there's no qualifications for, for being part of the, the military there. There's no qualifications for being conscripted. But once the government conscripts them, once it chooses them to be part of the military, by virtue of that choice, they're going to be trained. By virtue of that choice, they're going to gain the skills and the qualifications necessary to be a professional fighting force but they are not looking for 18-year-olds who to start are already soldiers. They make soldiers out of these unqualified people uh, because they've chosen them. And in a similar fashion, that is what God does through his choice of, uh, of those to be his people, is that there's no prerequisite that they meet, there's no qualification that they have, but God chooses them and by that choice of them, he makes them into what he desires. He makes them into holy, faithful, and righteous people. And so that order is important because we have to realize that that is all of grace, that God is choosing his people purely out of his graciousness, out of his love, and not anything on the part of uh, those people to begin with. It's all of grace, all of God's goodness, and love. And so if these are then the, the means that God uses to bring about salvation or bring about this uh, choice, uh, what's the goal? What's the end purpose? What is God driving to in choosing these people? 
unintentional dramatic pause for water. Um, what he is choosing them for is what we see at the end of verse 14, that God uh, is choosing them so that they may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What does that weird phrase mean? Now, that doesn't mean that we share in uh, the glory that is exclusively due to God that uh, Toby talked about this morning, the, the praise and the honor that is due to God as God. That's not what we're sharing in. Um, that, again, is for God alone. But what we are sharing in is, is the glorified state of Jesus, uh, is the, the love and the joy and the bliss that is shared between uh, Jesus and the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That that is the glory we get to share in. That is the end of God's choosing, that is the end goal of salvation, is to share in this wondrous joy and love and holiness that characterizes uh, Jesus and characterizes the life of God as Trinity. And so that's what we're aiming for. That is what we're, uh, or what God is aiming for in his choice of these people, is to bring about their sharing in this kind of glory, that they may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's significant about that, again, bouncing back from speaking about how God actualizes his choice, is God is choosing these people who have no prerequisite, no qualification, and choosing them for the greatest destiny that can be imagined. He's choosing them Uh, so that they can share in this eternal bliss and happiness and joy. And it has nothing to do with them. It is not something that they've earned. It's not something uh, that they're uh, qualified for or have some prerequisite. Again, it it is God's choosing of love. It is his effecting his choice in making them holy and faithful. And then at the end of that, after he's done these works, he gives them this uh, great Uh, joy and this great salvation. And so that's all of grace. It's all God being gracious and giving to people in choosing them. It's not something that's earned. It's not something uh, that we ourselves uh, deserve, but it is something that God graciously gives us. And so in keeping with Paul's theme of encouragement, um, What I would encourage you with from this section is to know that God is gracious and God is loving and that that is the the, uh, energy that is going to drive you to salvation. That you may look at yourself now and see how weak your faith is, how much sin still exists in your life, but know that God is going to bring about an ever uh, greater increase in faithfulness, an ever greater increase in holiness in your life, and that he is going to drive you to that end goal of salvation. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he is going to drive you to that end goal. And it's his work in you. Yes, we participate in that, and we see that playing out in the real world in our decisions and our actions and our attitude. But fundamentally, at the end, it is God who is doing that. 
And so there's this great saying from the reformer Martin Luther um, that barking does not make you a dog, but a dog barks. And what that means is I could stand up here uh, all day and bark at you, quite literally, bark, 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 woof, woof, uh, and I am not going to transform into a dog. Uh, I will still remain a person, albeit a very weird and confused person as I bark at you. But if I were a dog, I would naturally bark. That would be the natural result of me being a dog, is that I would bark. And so that is the, the life of a Christian. That is how God accomplishes his choice of us, is that we will naturally, of course, we, again, we participate in that. We see that affected through our choices or attitudes, but we will become holy. We will become uh, more faithful because that is the natural result and the instrument God is using to bring about his choice of us. And so be encouraged by that. Again, if your, your faith you feel is weak, if you see that sin in yourself, know that God is going to bring about that greater holiness, that greater faith in your life. And so to be encouraged. And so with that being said, with us understanding now why God chooses us, that he chooses us because he loves us, that we know that how he affects that choice, how he actualizes it, is he makes us holy, he makes us have faith, and that the end goal of all this is to share in that eternal joy and bliss of, of Christ. What is our response to be? How, how do we respond to that? Uh, what do we do because of that truth. And so jumping to verse uh, 15, we see what a Paul believes the Thessalonians should do in response to that. And so he says to them, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So keep in mind, again, the Thessalonians have been discouraged. They've been kind of knocked off balance by this false teaching that they've missed out on the day of the Lord. And so Paul is now saying, look, God has chosen you. God is, is going to draw you closer to himself. God has uh, you know, put this destiny before you. And so be encouraged and stand firm in what you've been taught. Stand firm in the traditions that you've received from us. And so what he's referring to here, uh, you know, keep in mind that at this stage, there wasn't a New Testament. Um, there was the Old Testament, and that spoke of God's activity uh, throughout the world with Israel and his character. But for the specific content about Jesus, about his life, death, and resurrection, that is all shared by word of mouth or uh, through, you know, occasional letters uh, like Second Thessalonians itself. And so Paul is saying to them, look, what I've told you, what I've written in a letter to you, which he's likely referring to 1 Thessalonians, hang on to that. Be encouraged, stand firm in what you've been taught. Don't be swayed from side to side by uh, these things that you have been told. Um, missing out in the day of the Lord, stand firm. And so that is what Paul uh, is desiring that they do. And he, he sees that as the natural consequence 
of their election, that their, uh, God's choosing of them is to be this great encouragement, that because God has chosen you, you don't need to be afraid of, the, of missing out on the day of the Lord. You don't need to be afraid of uh, these things you've been told, but you can trust and stand firm in what you've been taught, in what you have received uh, from us. And what's beautiful about this is Paul doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just leave it with this kind of command, okay, stand firm, you've got it, see you later, I'm, I'm gone. What he does now as we get to verse 16 and 17 is he now basically re-encapsulates what he says and then he prays that God would help them to do this. He's not leaving the Thessalonians by themselves to accomplish this uh, standing firmness. Uh, he's not leaving them by themselves to, to figure out what to do. Uh, but he's praying to the Lord that the Lord would give them strength. And so before he goes into his prayer, uh, in verse 16, uh, again, he basically re-encapsulates everything he said. Uh, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. This is setting the stage. He is tracing what he has said prior about God's choice to the Thessalonians to remind them who the God is that he's praying to. So he's praying to Christ, he's praying to the Father, uh, who had loved, who loved us, who has loved the Thessalonian believers, reminding them again, they are the beloved of the Lord. He reminds them that, uh, that the Father and the Son have given eternal comfort to the believers. The whole point of this passage has been to comfort and to encourage the Thessalonians in their distress. And so that doctrine of being chosen, that doctrine of of being chosen and beloved by God, that is meant to be an encouragement. It is meant to be a comfort that will uh, sustain them and last with them uh, until the end, that it is an eternal comfort and encouragement. And more than that, it's also a, a promised hope that uh, because God has chosen them, because God will uh, make them to be holy, make them to be faithful, that they are going to receive this end goal of obtaining the glory of Christ, that they will be saved, that they will be uh, brought into this happy society of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to live there in eternity. This is the hope that they have. So he has set the stage, reminded them of God's love, of the comfort of his choice, and the goal of that choice in salvation. And only then, as he's reminded them of everything he said, as he's reminded them of the goodness and the greatness of God, he prays that now God would comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That this God who's chosen them, this God who is, is with them, is going to comfort their hearts. Uh, Paul's whole point, again, has been encouragement and comfort of the Thessalonians, and now he's praying that God would apply that comfort to directly to their hearts, that he would give supernatural power to that comfort, uh, that they would feel that encouragement even in their distress. 
And that in doing so, God would also establish them, help them to be strengthened in all of the good works and words that they will do. So again, we see that God affects this choice of uh, election through uh, causing them to become holy, causing them to have faith. And so Paul is praying again that they, uh, God would help them to give them uh, and strengthen them in doing those good words, strengthen them in speaking those good words. And so he is relying not on the Thessalonians to accomplish this for themselves, but he is relying upon God to assist them and to help them through that. And so for us today, we may feel like the Thessalonians. We may not have been told that, uh, you know, we've missed out on the day of the Lord or or anything like that, but uh, we live in a very unique and (laughs) stressful time uh, uh, to live with uh, the pandemic raging, with domestic unrest, with uh, just uncertainty and, and all of the different personal issues that we may struggle with um, before any of this happened and, and may after all of this has gone away. It's very understandable to feel discouraged. It's very understandable to feel um, weary and, and bad about that. And perhaps even in our discouragement, we may be tempted to doubt God's goodness. We may be tempted to doubt uh, what we have been taught, that God is good, that he cares for us, that he is seeking our welfare even in the midst of the trials uh, that we face. We may be tempted to think maybe God is not as good as I believed. But what scripture would tell us is to stand firm in what we've been taught, stand firm in what we know to be true of the Lord, and to stand firm uh, not just as a, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, just standing firm and kind of being a blunt instrument and not uh, just trying not to care about anything. Um, Not that kind of standing firm, but standing firm in confidence because we are chosen by God, that we who have uh, said yes uh, to God, um, God has chosen us to be his people, and that is to encourage us that even uh, with all of the difficulties and the trials that we may face, that God has chosen us. And because of that, let us stand firm in what we know about God. Let's stand firm in the gospel, stand firm in what we have been taught. And not only to stand firm, but to pray and know that God will aid us in our standing firm. God will aid us and give us strength in our standing for uh, what we have been taught. And he will help us to maintain that. He will help us to remain firm in the midst of these trials and these insecurities. That God will give us comfort. He has given us hope and will continue to give us strength to remain firm. And so if the band could come up, at this stage I just want to uh, recapitulate what we have uh, heard and and seen here in this passage, that God's choosing of us to be his people is meant primarily to be an encouragement. 
that uh, the basis of God's choice is a choice of love, uh, that there's nothing behind that love but God's love. What we see is that God's choice is not based on something that we've done or something that we've accomplished, but it is, uh, or is not going to be, yeah, it's not based on that, but uh, through God's grace, uh, we are going to find that uh, we become the people that God has chosen, that we become holy, we become faithful people, and that as God has chosen us, as God is drawing us to himself, uh, what he will give us purely of grace is uh, this great destiny to be with him, to obtain the glory of Christ. And so because of that, uh, we are to be encouraged to continue to remember, to continue to hold on to what we know about Christ, to what we know about the gospel, and knowing that God himself is going to strengthen us, uh, give us that internal encouragement and good hope, and strengthen us to the end to that effect.